This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 20th of April 2021. And yesterday in Coronacast land, we spent a lot of our day waiting to hear what was going to happen with National Cabinet. And we found out last night the things that were discussed and the decisions that were made are perhaps less wave-making than we expected, Norman? I think it's part of a process. Um, Who knows what went on? According to the Prime Minister's office, that the National Cabinet agreed in principle to some changes, which really amount to, in summary, loosening up the situation for over 50-year-olds and maybe bringing forward you know, the Group 2A, you know, that might well require the, the state and territory vaccination sites to get involved, um, acknowledging that there's a supply issue. But there isn't really a supply issue because we've got a million doses a week coming out of CSL, which is going to flow through to the market very, very soon. And we really need to be achieving 200,000 doses a day, and we're not going to be able to do that through general practice. And I think, as we said on Coronacast yesterday, the issue here also is that if you rely on general practitioners, because of the way general practices spread across Australia, it tends to be towards better off suburbs and disadvantaged people are underserved by general practice. So states will have to step in for underserved communities as well, which is what they're doing in Victoria. So that's that, that, that's uh, coming out, and that's a, that's, a, that's a good thing, and they need to, um, and we'll just follow this through in terms of how they're going to engage. Obviously, the Commonwealth is very committed to continuing to use general practice. It's their idea, and they're going to continue to push that forward. And it's not as if you would undermine that, it's you, you, but you're going to need an awful lot more in there to to do that. And in fact, if you listen to this week's health report, to your interview with Tony Fauci, what they've done in the United States is really not get too particular about this and all hands to deck to get um, millions of doses a day out there in the United States. It's just amazing. The one disappointing uh, element here is that Commonwealth has clearly dug in on continuing to immunise people in residential aged care facilities with Pfizer um, using their private providers. That's dreadfully disappointing because every dose going into aged care is a dose that can't go into a, a healthcare worker under the age of 50. And Astra going into aged care will um, protect them just as well as Pfizer. And if we don't protect our frontline healthcare workers, that's a weakness in the system. And Pfizer gets you fully covered within three weeks and we are leaving ourselves vulnerable. So the only way it's going to get into aged care is if it actually escapes through um, healthcare workers, border workers, healthcare workers into the community. And if you're going to give them Astra, it's 12 weeks before they get covered, and under 50-year-olds will not be covered. So we've got to stop giving Pfizer to aged care. It's a waste of every dose, and you're leaving younger healthcare workers exposed. That is really quite breathtaking that they're digging in on that one. Is there a rationale behind that? I mean, it's not wasting those doses because those people need to be protected. But as you say, uh, AstraZeneca is not recommended for people under 50 and people in aged care are over 50. Well, it's it's low value when people in aged care would get the same value out of Astra. So the, the, the only argument I've heard was on Q&A the other night with James Patterson, who said that it's about getting cover, getting people in aged care immunised and covered as quickly as possible so they're fully protected. So that's an honourable thing to do if there's plenty of Pfizer around. 
but the reality is there isn't, and the only way aged care are going to get infected is if it escapes from our border control system, because that's the only way COVID-19 is getting into the country. So it's false logic here. You've got to protect people who are actually going to catch it first and spread it into the rest of the community. So the biggest material difference to the previous strategy that sort of came out last night, and it hasn't been approved yet, but it looks like it's going to be this week, is that they might speed up the, the rate for people over 50 so that perhaps within the next few weeks we're seeing anyone over 50 being eligible to be vaccinated. Yeah, and it's getting close to that now with some clinics where you, you if you're willing to turn up and they've got a cancellation, they'll immunise you. They're not going to waste the dose. And they're, they're often, I've heard anecdotally, they're quite happy to see extra people coming in because they, they've got doses spare and they don't want to throw them out. There's been a fair bit of frustration in the past couple of weeks that the vaccination strategy here in Australia has been a bit sluggish to be gentle. Now that a national cabinet is going to be meeting twice a week, do we see, do we foresee this kind of shaping up a bit more quickly now? There are a couple of things going on here. One is that Dan Andrews isn't in the National Cabinet at the moment because he's sick and recovering from his accident. And and one heard that what was happening at the National Cabinet, that he was quite a forceful person there along with Gladys Berejiklian. Mark McGowan, of course, is very forceful from the West Australian point of view. The thing is that if the vaccination strategy fails... It's not the Commonwealth that picks up the pieces, it's the states. So the states have got skin in the game and they're not going to let the Commonwealth away with strategies which leave the states exposed. And unfortunately, continuing to immunise residential aged care with Pfizer leaves the states exposed because they don't have Pfizer to immunise their under 50s. So speaking of Australia's vaccine strategy, we were talking last week about how in the US they were very transparent about the decisions that they were making about what vaccines were in and what vaccines were out. And you made the comment, Norman, that uh, the Australian authorities should be equally as transparent. And actually, some slides have been released that explain the reasoning behind the AstraZeneca advice that we're getting now. Yeah, and they should be congratulated for it. So they, they've, re- they've released their thinking about why they came to the decision about 50 as the cutoff. So I think that's great. And the more that Atagi can do that, the better. And the more the information will be trusted from them. And we'll put a link to those slides on our website. Well, let's take some questions from our audience. And as would be expected, we're getting a lot of questions from people who are worried about their own personal health and um, looking for some advice around how they should make their decisions about getting vaccinated. Of course, we can't provide individual medical advice, but what we are trying to do to you, our lovely listeners, for you, is see what the themes are and try to answer as many questions for people as possible without sort of offering individual health advice. So one of the themes that's coming through is, do we have any data on blood groups of the people who've experienced clotting? I haven't seen any data along those lines. And what seems to be coming out of the um, the cases that have been reported, and by the way, they, they continue to increase, particularly in the UK, is that the pattern is just being reinforced that it's women more than men, it's under 50 predominantly, and there isn't anything obvious in terms of a, of a risk factor. So it won't be random. This, this is not random. There will be some other factors there. Unlikely to be blood groups, maybe it could be, but it's unlikely to be blood groups. Could be something else that people haven't found. At the moment, the, the, the defining characteristics are relative youth and um, female gender. You mentioned this just now, but another another really strong theme that's coming through is people asking whether there are any, if you have a pre-existing clotting issue, whether that increases your risk of this rare side effect happening? It doesn't because most people with clotting issues have 
ordinary clotting, well, not, or nothing's ordinary about a clot, but it's generally just that you are more susceptible to clots in the traditional way that platelets cause an aggregation, maybe around an area of tissue damage or you're dehydrated, your blood becomes too sticky, um, those sorts of things. You've got cancer. There's all sorts of things that can make your blood more likely to clot. The blood's pooling in your veins and your, in your legs because you've been on a long-distance flight. Not that anybody does that any longer. But the... This is a very different mechanism, and it doesn't appear that people who are at risk generally of clots are at risk of this immune problem, nor does it seem that being at risk of an immune problem itself is a, is a risk apart from people who may have had in the past, and this is theoretical, who have had a heparin-induced clotting problem, and heparin's an anticoagulant, and it produces exactly the same antibody response as the vaccine, except the people who've got the vaccine-induced response haven't had heparin. So anybody who's had heparin-induced thrombosis should not be getting this. And anybody who's had a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, for what, for any reason, should not have this. And I assume that that means that there could be, people think, well, there might be damage in that part of the brain and you, if, if you're susceptible to clots, you know, that, that could aggregate there. Again, I'm not sure that there has been a history of this in the people who've, who've experienced it, so that's just being prudent. Of course, the cere- cerebral venous sinus is the, the drain, the brain drain. It is, yeah. And just one final comment from Craig, who works at a respiratory clinic on the border of North and West Sydney. Craig's saying they were geared up for 200 a day of AstraZeneca for 1B. They're seeing 50 people a day. And what's really frustrating to Craig is just how they there are people who really want it, how to get them through the door. Uh, it's it's a real source of frustration for him. Yeah, and how the Israelis did it through um, high-throughput clinics. It's much easier high-throughput clinics. They've got a list of people that they can text and get them in. And it's harder for individual general practices to do that and harder for people to get in. And... Um, what you can, what some clinics I'm hearing anecdotally are doing is that they're welcoming people to turn up and take the, the appointments that haven't been picked up. You might have to wait for an hour, but you may well end up getting the vaccine anyway. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. As always, send in your questions, abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. See you then.